I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Welcome to this week's episode. This week we're hitting the trail once again for another installment of the Haunted Trail. We'll be traveling through Tennessee heading north to Virginia. For those of you who might be new to the podcast, the Haunted Trail includes stories from the Appalachian National Scenic Trail on the east coast of the United States. I began compiling paranormal and weird stories from along the Appalachian Trail a few years ago to eventually include them in a book. That research led the way to get this podcast started, and now I'm sharing some of those stories now and then in episodes I call The Haunted Trail, which is what the book will be titled when it's finished. We've been making our way north on the Appalachian Trail, starting in Georgia in episode 57, North Carolina in episode 58, and North Carolina and Tennessee in episode 66. You can listen to these out of order, but I suggest checking those other episodes out. As I've mentioned, the Appalachian National Scenic Trail is nearly 2,200 miles long, extending from Springer Mountain in Georgia to Mount Katahdin in Maine. It runs through 14 states. There are many people who attempt to hike the entire length of the trail in one shot, and that's known as a through-hike. Since the majority of through-hikes are northbound, starting in Georgia, I've started these episodes the same way. We've gotten through Georgia and North Carolina, and today we're going to be finishing up with Tennessee. In the area of Tennessee, North Carolina, and Georgia, were a race of small people who were bearded and had pale white skin. The Cherokee encountered these people, who they say were pale-skinned humanoids with pale blue eyes and short brown bodies. Basically, it's me without a beard. They were said to be a separate race and not supernatural beings. They were called the Moon-Eyed People because their pale blue eyes were sensitive to the sun and they were forced to become nocturnal, coming out only at night. It's even said that the light of the full moon was too much for the moon-eyed people. They lived in underground caves or small huts that they built out of logs and wood. There are some people who believe the moon-eyed people could be responsible for some of the pre-Columbian ruins in the area. Colonel Leonard Marbury, who served as an intermediary between the government and the Cherokee in the 1700s, said, The Cherokee tell us, that when they first arrived in the country which they inhabit, they found it possessed by certain moon-eyed people who could not see in the daytime. These wretches were expelled. It seems the moon-eyed people were driven west by the Cherokee. Benjamin Smith Barton, who wrote the 1797 book New Views of the Origin of the Tribes and Nations of America, considered the moon-eyed people to be albinos of some sort. Barton inferred that they were ancestors of the albinos that Welsh explorer Lionel Wafer encountered in the early 1700s. Wafer lived for a time amongst the Kuna people of Panama, 
and they were called moon-eyed because they could see better at night. Some historians think that the moon-eyed people could have been early European settlers, but mentions of them date back to before the pilgrims arrived in the New World. Some people say the moon-eyed people still live in the mountains. Made me think of the white screamer that was mentioned in episode 66, The Haunted Trail in North Carolina. So if you're out hiking the trail and you catch sight of a pale-skinned, short, round, bearded person, you might be seeing the moon-eyed people. And that's going to bring us to Watauga Dam, Watauga Lake. Watauga Lake is a man-made reservoir built by the TVA, or the Tennessee Valley Authority, for flood prevention, creation of aquatic habitat, and hydropower generation. The TVA began building the Watauga Dam on February 16, 1942. Construction was postponed on December 21, 1942, to divert funds to World War II-related efforts, then resumed again on July 22, 1946. The gates to Watauga Dam finally closed on December 31, 1948, and Watauga Lake was born. The lake is 305 feet at its deepest point. 47 miles of the shoreline are privately owned, but because most of that 47 miles is below the 100-year floodplain, only temporary structures are allowed there, like RVs. The other 58 miles of shoreline is public property. Because of this, there is little development along the shore of the lake, leaving it pristine. Under the lake is the town of Old Butler. This town was once the location where Cherokee interacted with settlers and Daniel Boone himself stopped there to rest. Some of the families in the town didn't want their family graves disturbed, and there were also potentially some slave graveyards in the area. These allegedly were left behind when the TVA flooded the valley to make the lake. It's said that the lake itself is haunted by the many people who have drowned there over the years, and maybe by those whose bodies were left behind. One near-drowning victim claimed they felt something grab onto their leg and pull them under before they were able to break free and swim away. Was it just a piece of aquatic grass, or something more? People have seen strange lights and shadow people moving about in the woods lining the lake. A couple of backpackers were camping near the lake one night when they heard footsteps along the trail. Everything got eerily quiet. Not even the night bugs made noise, as though they sensed something amiss. When the backpackers peeked out of their tent, they saw a light swaying back and forth along the trail like a lantern. It went down the trail and then circled around and headed towards the backpacker's campsite before disappearing into the woods. The hikers checked the area, but there was no one there. They went to the parking area, but the only car there was theirs. Odder still was the interior lights were on in their car, but all the doors were closed tightly and locked. Another set of backpackers camped off the AT, or Appalachian Trail, near the lake. That night, they heard someone walking around camp. They also heard what sounded like someone digging through their packs. The backpackers were concerned that perhaps a bear or raccoon was trying to find something to eat in their pack, so they looked outside their tent to see what was rooting around, only to discover that there was no one there, and the packs were undisturbed. 
On the eastern portion of the lake sits Watauga Lake Winery. The winery is the former Dry Run Elementary School that was built in 1948 and operated until the 1980s. Located on 35 acres, the winery has more to offer than the typical bottle of wine. They also have spirits. See what I did there? I'm not talking about the spirits that you drink. Obviously, this is a paranormal podcast. Footsteps in the hallway and shadow figures moving about the property are only a couple of the paranormal things going on. A paranormal investigation was conducted at the winery, and there was video footage recorded of the full-bodied apparition of a man. The video was shown to a longtime resident of the area, who gasped because she knew who the apparition was. It was the ghost of a local man who had worked on the construction of the school. He was killed in a tragic bridge collapse, and apparently his spirit hangs out at his former job site. The investigation also recorded the voices of children playing in the area that was once the school gymnasium. One person was in the kitchen area doing the dishes when they felt a cool breeze that left their hair standing on end, and the feeling as though someone was standing behind them. This is a common occurrence at the winery. Both guests and employees have felt that feeling of not being alone and having their hair standing on end. In the area is also the Watauga River Bridge that has its own haunting legend. The bridge is a steel girder bridge built in the 1920s. The area under the bridge became a place for young lovers to meet. One young couple found themselves alone under the bridge. They began making their way back to their car when they noticed a large man coming down the bank towards them. They thought it was another couple, but no other person was with the man, and he was huge, and he had a knife. The man rushed the girl, stabbing her twice in the chest, and she died instantly. The guy tried to run, but was stabbed in the back. He managed to crawl to the top of the bank with the man still behind him. He made it to his car and got in. The large man tried to get in the car too, but the guy floored it. He rushed to the hospital and was able to tell police what happened before dying. When the police went to the scene, the girl's body was gone, there was no blood and no body was ever found, and there was no suspect. Now as drivers cross the bridge, there's the sound of the door opening and slamming, and the seat goes down as if someone sat down on it. Pedestrians hear footsteps, and when they look behind them, they see a shadowy figure moving. The figure looks like it's wearing a monk's robe with the cowl pulled up over its face, and it has the face of a skeleton. It's possible that this is an urban legend, but who knows? Many urban legends are just true stories with a little ad-libbing. But I didn't find any news articles that had anything to do with a murder that was reported at the Watauga River Bridge. Still a good story. Next up is the tragic story of a murder that did happen in the area at the Van Deventer Shelter along the Appalachian Trail. I've mentioned shelters before in these Haunted Trail episodes. They're dotted along the length of the AT, and they're used for sleeping or as a place to stop and eat lunch or take a break. Most of these shelters are nothing more than a lean-to with a roof and three sides, which is what the Van Deventer Shelter is like. It also has some fantastic views and a tragic past. February of 1975, 22-year-old Janice Balza from Green Bay, Wisconsin, 
was through hiking the Appalachian Trail. She had just graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison School of Nursing before starting her through hike. On April 19th, Janice gets to the Van Deventer shelter where she plans to camp for the night. Already at the shelter is 51-year-old Tucson, Arizona native Paul Bigley, also hiking the Appalachian Trail. They both stay in the shelter for the night, and the next morning, April 20th, Balza gets up and begins preparing the morning campfire. With her back to Bigley, Bigley takes a small hatchet and strikes Janice several times in the head, killing her. He tosses the hatchet down the hillside, hides Janice's body under some brush and leaves, and heads out into the woods. A week later, Paul Bigley turns himself in to the police, telling them he has killed someone, and takes them down to where the body and the murder weapon are located. They find Janice Bowles' body under some brush a few yards off the trail. At first, Bigley, who was a tree surgeon by trade, gives no motive for the crime. It's learned that he's a former Arizona mental patient. Eventually, he admits that he coveted Janice's new Kelty backpack, and that was the reason he killed her. Nowadays, people who stop at the shelter say that the area has a heavy feeling. A couple who stayed at the shelter said they woke up and saw two orbs of light floating outside the shelter opening. Another couple who was tent camping at the shelter had a frightening experience in the night. Around 1 a.m., one of them woke to the sound of someone running up to their tent. The noise stopped just outside the tent door. The woman yelled and there was no reply, but the noise started again and faded in the distance. The next morning, she told her companion of her encounter, and her friend said the same thing happened to her around 2.30 that morning. I can tell you one thing for certain, this story is one of many reasons why I choose to backpack in a group. There is slightly more safety in numbers. And speaking of orbs of light, there is a Native American legend called a fire spirit that roams the mountains. Cherokees talked about a spirit they called fire carrier. There is no real description of the spirit because whenever it was sighted, the Cherokee didn't stay around long enough to see what it looked like. The fire carrier was very dangerous and walked around carrying a light. A man who was mixed-blood Cherokee related that his mother encountered the fire carrier when she was young, back in the frontier days. She was returning home from the trading post when the fire carrier appeared behind her. The fiery spirit seemed to follow her. She whipped her pony and raced off straight home. Perhaps that fire carrier is responsible for the next story. This one takes place on nearby Doe Mountain. Doe Mountain is an 8,600-acre forested mountain home to 40 rare plants and animals. It's said to have been named for the time when Daniel Boone killed and ate a doe while hiking. Many claim to see mysterious ghost lights rolling down the mountain. There's a long history of the sightings. The balls are about three feet across, and they remain earthbound as they roll up and down the mountainside. What's unusual about these balls of light is that they're seen in the daytime as well as the night. They're not your ordinary ball of light or fire. Witnesses say it rolls over dry leaves without starting a flame. And there's another Cherokee spirit known to the area. 
This one is a type of water spirit. That's also a cannibal. Because nothing says happy hiking quite like a cannibal water spirit. The Cherokees say there's a race of cannibal spirits who stay at the bottom of rivers and feed on human flesh, especially flesh of little children. They come out just after daybreak and go about unseen, house to house, until they find someone asleep. They shoot the sleeping person with invisible arrows and carry the dead body down under the river to feed on it. They leave behind an image of the dead that wakes up and talks and goes about just as it did, but there's no life in it, and in seven days it withers and dies. So I would be a little bit careful on those stream and river crossings along the Appalachian Trail. No need to become a meal for a cannibal water spirit. And finally, there is an area called the Shelton Graves that is haunted because of a massacre that happened there. According to a news article from July 15, 1863, the summer of 1862, three brothers named Anderson left their homes in Hawkins County and attempted to make their way to Kentucky. They were arrested by a squad of Confederate cavalry, were shot and thrown into the Clinch River, 75 miles from Knoxville. Their bodies were found floating only 15 miles from their home. January of 1863, at Laurel, near the Tennessee border, Confederates seized all the salt and refused to allow Union sympathizers to have their share. The Union men banded together to seize their share by force, which they did, taking what they deemed to be their fair portion. The men involved took off and left their homes, hoping their families would be safe. Immediately, the 65th North Carolina Regiment, under Lieutenant Colonel James Keith, was ordered to Laurel to arrest the men involved in the salt seizure. Of course, the men weren't there. But Lieutenant Colonel Keith arrested 13 men and boys, none of whom were involved in the salt theft. The 13 men and boys asked for a trial, and they were told that they would get one. Instead, they were marched a short distance, and then five men were told to kneel, and they were executed. Five more were told to kneel, including a 12-year-old boy. The soldiers hesitated now, but they were told they either followed commands or they would take the place of the prisoners. So the five were shot too. The 12-year-old boy was only wounded in the arm, and he ran and threw his arms around the legs of a soldier, pleading for his life. They executed him, and then the last three remaining. The bodies were buried in a mass grave that was not even large enough and covered with a light layer of dirt. The women, hearing about what happened to their men, went in search of the grave, and upon arriving discovered hogs had rooted up the bodies and had eaten one of the men's heads. Keith and his men were ordered back to Laurel. There they systematically tortured the women of those loyal to the Union to force them to reveal the whereabouts of their husbands and fathers. The women refused. They were whipped with hickory switches until they bled, and some were also strung up in trees until they nearly choked to death. Young girls and elderly women alike. Some of the women were robbed of what they had. Houses were burned and torn down. There's more, but I'm going to stop there, because I think you get the brutality that must have gone on here and in other areas around there during the war. The majority of the people killed 
belonged to the Shelton family, which is why it's referred to as the Shelton Graves. Today, those who are in the area have a feeling of being watched. They hear screams and moans. Some people encounter a dim figure of a woman pleading for help. And when trying to leave the area, people are sometimes confronted by ghost soldiers. And you can also hear the screams of condemned men. There's also the sound of the wailing of those left behind to mourn them. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember, you can listen to Lurk wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also find us at LurkPodcast.com, where we have all of our episodes, along with links to our social media accounts. Consider following us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We also have a YouTube channel for those who prefer to listen that way. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and consider taking a minute to give us a five-star review. Also, as a quick reminder, the raffle for the Bigfoot lap quilt that is valued at $225 ends on Sunday, October 23rd. You can find information on our Facebook page or you can send me an email at lurkpodcast at yahoo.com and I can send you information on how to get raffle tickets. There is a Venmo and PayPal set up to do that. And the quilt, if you win it, will be shipped to you if you do not live nearby. All proceeds go to benefit my daughter who was injured in a serious ATV accident and suffered a traumatic brain injury. So she's unable to work, has two children that she is raising, and this will all go towards helping with uh, bills. So if you're interested in that, send me a message. And and also, if you have a minute, if you wouldn't mind voting for Lurk Podcast in the Paranormality Magazine's Top 10 Podcasts, thank you to everybody who has voted previously. We made it to number one for the month of October. So currently, um, voting is going on for the month of November. It would be awesome just to stay on the Top 10 list. So if you have a minute and you can go vote, the address is www.paranormalitymag.com backslash vote 25. You can vote three times per email. You can vote for three different podcasts or the way I like to do it is I like to vote for Lurk all three times. Until next time, keep lurking. Keep lurking.